Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. Today, I'm joined once again by my good friend, Jay. Hello, Jay. Hey, Chase. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I am all right. I'm kind of cold, which is weird. Oh, no. It's July. I know. It's cold <laughs> in July. Speaking of July, there are going to be no movies that come out in July, for those people that don't know. Yeah, I don't think there'll be movies for a while. <laughs> I know, but everyone's living in denial. And that was the, the one of the bigger pieces of news that AMC theaters delayed opening because all the big movie releases, be it Tenet, be it Mulan, pushed yeah. back all their release dates again, which yeah. we had been talking about. If they could keep just booking it back month after month, it's that's just going to be what it is, even though August isn't looking much more probable than July. So no, no, probably not. I would guess, uh, I would guess the next time I will see a movie in theaters, it will be a whole different year. Yeah, <laughs> by twenty 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 one. Yeah, uh, yeah. But at least there's streaming, which was the other piece of news that we might have more to talk about. Um, some some breaking news from today: uh, Fallout is going to have a television series. Um, it's going to be via Amazon and it just got announced that it's going to be the same people that made Westworld, um, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan. It's following in the footsteps of HBO announcing they're going to be making a Last of Us series. There's going to be like a Halo series from Showtime. I don't know. I, yeah, I had heard about the Halo one like when because that was earlier news and I was that felt weirder. But I guess that's really because I didn't know there was any plot to Halo. I've only ever played halo like once and i didn't realize there was plot there technically uh, is it's like a whole yeah. covenant and a whole religious cult that's kind of yeah threaded throughout i had no idea there was plot i just thought it was a shooter game uh um but yeah fallout i think would be an interesting show i think it makes sense to me that it is going to be done by the same people who did westworld that yeah. feels sounds about down right. the same the same alley and I'm I'm curious about it. I am a little nervous after the most recent season of Westworld, which we talked about on the podcast. But I think it makes sense to make television series out of video games because there haven't been... I'll, I'll narrow it to live action. There haven't been many good live action adaptations of video games. There was... The most recent one was... Uh, Witcher? Which one? Witcher? Yeah, well, that was a television series, which I have not seen, but I've heard mixed things about, but that it was pretty good, which means everyone was like, okay, well, now we got to do our own. My dad watched it and he liked it, which felt really weird. But I think it was because he was coming off of Game, Game of Thrones and then he yeah. wanted something that looked similar. And then he, he told me it doesn't require a lot of you. And that's, I think, what he likes. And I, th I know there are Witcher books, and I think it sort of makes sense to have something more expansive because trying to make, because I just played the second Last of Us game, trying to make a Last of Us movie that was only an hour and a half to two hours would be really constricting for what you would want the whole story to be. And Fallout, you played Fallout 4, and yeah, that, yeah. it's a role-playing game, right? So it's very expansive, lots of different character interactions. Right, yeah, it's uh, it's like free world, open world, role so having, playing. Having lots of different episodes to explore different parts of that world could be interesting. It's going yeah. to be a while before we ever see it, but right, because no one can, no one can really shoot right now. No one can shoot, and that's probably way ahead of us. I'm, I may be more interested in a Last of Us game just because I'm not as familiar with Fallout, and I am a little nervous about the showrunner just because. I don't know if you saw much of Westworld, but the most recent scene of Westworld, there was just way, way messy storylines that they didn't know what to do with. But I don't know. Who's the main character in a Fallout game? Is there a central main character? Yeah, you play as the main character, and then there are, you know, side characters. So in Fallout 4, you play as as a vault, like this guy who sub survives in one of the vaults, and mm. he wakes up and essentially learns that uh well he wakes up too early so essentially everybody it's in this world in which there is a nuclear um like a nuclear there's like the nuclear war essentially mm -hmm. and so everyone has to go down into these these uh bunkers or these vaults where they're then cryo frozen mm -hmm. however 
the cryo freeze was supposed to last a lot longer than it then so you as the character wake up earlier than your cryo froze should have like lasted and mm-hmm. you find out that everyone else has been killed essentially everyone else is dead mm-hmm. and you're like one of the only survivors in your vault you wake up and you have to like go out into the world and see the nuclear fallout and everything and there's other survivors that you find and and so basically the the plot of the game is you're trying to go around and you're trying to the plot central plot is you finding out kind of some of the conspiracy and the mm-hmm. things that led to uh like the vault all the vault stuff and like the reason that you've survived and where what happened to your family and if your family is still alive and so yeah. it sounds like there's an interesting premise for a story in there that they could do yeah there's like like the games have enough plot that you could do a story but mm-hmm. it has enough free like enough freedom in your choice as a player that writers could take creative license Mm-hmm. so it's not it constricting be, yeah it wouldn't be like oh they that's not canonical that's i mean people could argue something's not canonical but it's a free roam game so what we all had different experiences playing it the mm-hmm. the plot the central plot is the same but the journey you took to get from point a to point b is different right yeah and there's mon you know there's monsters and there's robots and there's so it's yeah it feels very uh similar up that alley would you would you watch it if it came out i don't have amazon so oh, okay if it, i no. imagined a world where there <laughs> there are no streaming services if it was right in front of you would would you be interested in watching it yeah i would i would watch it and i think like if someone if i went to someone's house and they had amazon and they mm-hmm. want i'd watch it yeah but i just i don't have an amazon subscription so that's fair that's fair that's the unfortunate downside of it is it's like oh, amazon yeah. no <laughs> Yeah, um, it's just the one streaming platform I don't really use. So yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, well, the main thing we were going to probably talk about today was what I'm going to call Chase's redemption in a movie pick. Because for those of you listening and didn't know, I had Jay watch the um, Artemis Fowl movie, which we won't talk about much at all. Because a hot mess. It was a hot mess. You get to see Judy Dench say "Top of the morning," and that's the highlight of the whole thing. And the rest of it is kind of a wash. Um, I think maybe you should do an episode on bad movies Judy Dench was in this year. <laughs> no, don't. I mean, there's cats. She had cats this last year, but she's given it her all in all of them. She's not She's not the problem with what she's in. Um, yeah, but, but it's just funny. Yeah, but I had recommended that or like we had watched that. But then what was a better movie that we both watched that came out recently was House of Hummingbird which I had not heard a lot about, but kind of came in my radar as being screened virtually after it had been released internationally, I think maybe even almost a year ago, but could only be seen in the United States and elsewhere recently. It was and, actually, yeah, it was uh, released in 2018. Yeah, and we we both watched it and ended up really liking it. I'm going to try not to say a whole lot about it, spoiler-wise, even though we might allude to some developments because it is based in history and there's a very significant event that it's building up to and some some descriptions of it do spoil it like the imdb description does say that um it's in the year 1994 when there was a specific bridge collapse and i don't think it's bad to know that because it doesn't really impact what is like a really interesting character drama of this young 14-year-old who's kind of coming of age but dealing with a lot of family tension and I don't know I thought it was really really interesting and good and it was remarkable that it was a first time director but I don't yeah, know I, you... I would classify it very much as a like a coming of age family drama mhm but like it kind of didn't fall into some of those trappings where it wasn't as like neat because a couple a couple uh, weeks ago, we had sort of talked about the show Love, Victor, which obviously is very different and is like a television show and a little bit more lighthearted. This is a lot more serious. But this just felt very, very well done. A lot of interesting character moments. I thought the ending, without going too much into it, with the monologue was really, really great. I thought it was very well shot. I don't know. People have been talking about their best of 2020 so far because we're like at the midway point of the year. And I haven't seen this on a lot of lists. And I think that's unfortunate not to throw shade too much at 
Mr. Pete Davidson, but if I were to watch this versus like King of Staten Island, like it's not even comparable. And it's unfortunate, I think, because it's in subtitles and not in English that people don't watch it, but it's like really, really good. That's what I kind of want to say from the beginning is like, I would highly recommend this movie. I was really, really won over by it. Yeah, it was a, it was one of the best movies I think I saw all year. I mean, this year hasn't been that. I mean, it's uh, it's halfway through the year, um, which uh, feels wild because, uh, yep, because COVID has made time feel real weird. Uh, I was, but I yeah, I think it is one of the best movies I've seen between the years 2019, 2020, just like in the last kind of year and a half, probably one of the best movies. But I will also say that I have liked every single Korean movie I've ever watched. And I, you could chalk that up to some uh, implicit bias because I'm Korean American, but I genuinely, every Korean movie I've ever watched, uh, I have enjoyed thoroughly. Maybe that's partially because the Korean movies that will make it to being screened anywhere in the United States are mm-hmm. probably on the higher end of, you know, because obviously I think every country can produce crap movies. But um, <laughs> the ones know, that just, cross the barrier and yeah, get distribution elsewhere are great. And I, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I've, this is, I just love them. I mm-hmm. love them all. I've all really enjoyed, particularly the, the, ones with like very deep uh plot and i feel like they always have a lot to say yeah and we had talked i think for a while after we saw it where it was sort of capturing a very unique time period where as a country they were very much in tension of clinging to some traditional ideas about family but then also very rapidly modernizing which was reflected in architecture, but then also in the character dynamics in interesting ways. Um, The opening scene is her coming home after she has brought home groceries and she goes a floor below um, her floor. So she's banging on some random stranger's door thinking her mom is not paying attention to her. And then it pans out and you just get to see all of the same apartment after apartment where they've tried to build very rapidly, very quickly with sort of a standardized set to the point where it would be easy to mistake one floor for another. And it's kind of very poetic. I I like intros where it's like, you can learn everything about what the story is sort of going for, which was her being lost both literally and somewhat figuratively. And this changing world that she is struggling to accustom to. I know that might be reading a little too much into it, but I think that opening really kind of speaks volumes about how she like struggles to find her way in this world. I think ultimately does in a very poetic way, but she was yeah. also great. I Sometimes when it's first time kids being actors, um, or I don't know if it was her first time, but when we had watched Artemis Fowl, it was the first time of the, the kid acting. And in this, I thought, I thought she was great, um, but she might've done other things. Let me check. Yeah. No, the, yeah, she's done a couple other things, but this is only her like third movie. Yeah. Third or fourth movie. Yeah. The opening scene to me was like, captured everything that i felt like it was well just not everything but i i think from the moment that the opening shot began i was like oh i i get it Mm -hmm. i get what this this, i get what this movie is gonna try to say and i get what i get what we're going for here immediately just like when she was banging on the door i was kind of like well i don't know where this is gonna go but the minute that you realize oh she had the completely wrong apartment and it's because she literally even though she's lived there possibly her whole life she literally didn't know it wasn't her apartment Mm -hmm. um and as soon as it started zooming out i was like oh yeah this is this is quintessential to that era this is i i totally get what this is going for as someone who has like a, a wider knowledge of korean history and and knowledge mm-hmm Weirdly, something I was sort of thinking of, obviously very different in context. I was thinking a lot of eighth grade. Do you remember that movie from a couple years ago? I didn't see it, actually. Okay. I like this a little bit better, so I won't talk about that too much, but it just kind of was her being very aware. She always, in a lot of her scenes, is very observant and paying attention, and she's quiet, but she's not absent. She sort of is just 
in the background, but always paying attention. There's even a scene where her classmates are sort of talking about her behind her back, but you can tell she's sort of listening, leaning on her desk, still knowing what's going on. Um, but I don't know. It's sort of her just going to school, trying to find love in some instance. And I think that sort of gets twisted in interesting ways to where it's not like romantic love in, in many ways. It's finding connection. It ends up being with a teacher who I really like a lot of their scenes. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to gush over it too much, but I've just been thinking a lot about it where it's, it's very funny at times too in some of the scenes where they just get up to like silly things. Um, and sometimes those things have consequences, like when there's a shoplifting that they get caught for, and you never really know why they're doing it, but it sort of is just something that they're doing. And her parents own a market of types, and they're always very busy working, always very stressed. Um, her mother oftentimes is very quiet as well, but they have a very simple, nice scene where she makes food for her that just even though no one says anything, it speaks volumes and just the the stare and the on onset love that they have for each other, even as they're both quite not sure how to express it and are really struggling. I don't know. It's well, it's good. Something I thought about is at the beginning of the movie, she's eating the same dish. It's mm-hmm. uh like pajon, which is Korean pancakes. Usually it's either uh with just green like scallions or a lot of times like kimchi or uh seafood but anyways at the beginning of the movie her mom tells her that there's pancake leftover pancakes in the fridge so just like have some and her mom's like not really present the girl just goes and she eats by herself and then at the end of the movie it's like it's the same exact dish that she's eating but her mom and she eats it in the same way basically not speaking just like just eating and in in korean culture you you don't always like when you're eating you just eat you're not like taking forever and having a conversation but at the end her mom's actually sit like makes it for her fresh and then serves it to her at the table and then sits there with her while she eats and just like stares at her and i thought that that was so significant because it's like at the beginning of the movie it's totally disembodied like okay i just there's leftover food you gotta just eat it whatever there's not thought in that but at the end the food is like the intimacy of making it fresh serving it while she's cooking they have a little bit of a conversation about missing the uncle Mm -hmm. um yeah, I don't know. It's just about, and so she's asking her mom questions and her mom answers. And there's just so much intimacy in that compared to at the beginning where there's none. Yeah. And it's just sort of that very quiet, shared moment that they have together that's really nice. Um, what's also interesting is the way it's somewhat autobiographical from what I've heard. I've done some looking into it. And apparently, the line where she says, I want to be a cartoonist to comfort people, that was something the director had written in like their diary when they were in primary school. And I I thought that was really interesting as well. Um, Just kind of that very, not innocent, but kind and compassionate innocence that she had that was slowly being corrupted by the world around her. And she was like really struggling to cling to. I don't know. It's it's heartbreaking, but it's just very interesting to kind of see play out. Um, Yeah. And just that she would want to help people with with her art and not not really ever hurt anyone. She's always seeming to want to care for other people. Like um her her teacher who she connects with a lot. When she when she gets in trouble for shoplifting, she's told to bring food as a gift and sort of as recompense for the stealing, but instead she brings it to her teacher. And I don't know. I just obviously that was because she likes the teacher more, but she still was potentially putting herself at risk where then if they were to call the store and they were like, oh, wait, she never actually brought this. Where did it go? I don't know. It, it's good. She also has two siblings and the relationship she has with her siblings was something I connected with a lot. Even though I'm an oldest sibling, her kind of having to take on a lot of, without without going too much into it, take on abuse because I think she is in a somewhat abusive household where her brother will hit her she ends up having to get potentially medical care when she's hit in the ear and it ruptures her eardrum I think was what it was um 
And she also has another medical problem that she has to go to, which was interesting because that was the only moment her parents not cared for her, but gave her the attention that she'd been so clearly desiring and defended her against her brother in an instance. Because most of the time it's, it's that the older brother was expected to be the one who gets all the attention is supposed to be successful, which was exactly what had happened in her mother's household. Because there's an opening scene where her uncle comes home to visit, but is very clearly drunk and stays for, was it only like five minutes? I don't know if it's just edited to just be like a part of their conversation. He stayed longer or if he truly just came and said this, these couple things and then left. I, but you get the sense that it was really, really short because they try to offer him like more stuff or just they try to like be like, oh, we'll get, you know, we'll make tea or whatever, more whatever. Um, ask him to stay longer. And he so clearly he's not there for very long. Yeah. But he's racked with guilt, which is why he's sort of going there, is that he says, like, it should have been you referring to her mother, his sister. It should have been you who got some more of the support and attention because not that he's wasted it, but it's that he's kind of not been taking advantage of it. He's not handled the pressure super well. He's become an alcoholic, doesn't really seem to have a lot of support. And even when, I guess this is a spoiler, even though it happens pretty on, he ends up dying and you don't really know the full circumstances of it, but you never really get to see much of his funeral or the people he knew. It almost is just sort of like a passing event. And I don't know. I think it's very much much implied that it's, I think it's very much implied that it's suicide. I think the thing that I liked the most about this movie and the thing that I really liked about Parasite as well is that it's, so distinctly a commentary on such prevalent issues in Korean society while also having a universal um, like a universal story that can be related to by people in you know like all over but it's it retains it's very the to me what just like really catches me about both Parasite and this movie is that there's so much more nuance and it feels like such a richer and deeper plot when you understand this the bits about Korean society that it is commenting on or that it's critiquing or just like the a lot of the comedy to me in Parasite comes from understanding the way that Koreans work mm-hmm. and is so much funnier to me when I take into context the things that i know and i think there were there were parts of the house of hummingbird that to me were like laughable but it was like something really dark but it's just it's it's like funny because it's just like oh yeah koreans are just like that and it it sounds like oh i'm painting with a broad brushstroke or uh i won't i don't want to feel like i'm like speaking for oh like all koreans are this way but it's it's there's certain parts that are funny because that's generally true of Korean families, even though it's like, Oh, that's actually really horrifying. It's like, Oh yeah, that actually is really horrifying, but it's just, it feels laughable. Cause it, that's just like, that's just how it is. I don't know. What were some of those parts or moments for you? Um, well, it's, it's a running theme in both parasite and this movie, but just people lying to each other or like when they're asked a question, just direct, like very, very indirectly, answering in a way that is like a lie but is uh like yeah it's like a lie but it's maybe just like a little white lie or just a stretching of the truth that is supposed to make the other person feel better so saving face like that is just um a lot of the comedy in parasite comes from that and um I mean, it makes me think of also, we talked about this movie in another episode, but like The Farewell, and there's a lot of lying in that. And I think as someone from the West, you might watch something like House of Hummingbird, Parasite, or The Farewell and be like, how can these people just be like blatantly lying about these really intense things? And it's just, it feels laughable to me because I'm just like, yeah, I just like that's impacted my life, even though I didn't grow up. I'm adopted, so I'm, I didn't grow up with my Korean parents, but it, it because that is so deeply ingrained in Korean society, that impacted my life because of parts of my my story that I know to be lies, like little white lies or really big lies that were just supposed to save face for like my my 
family and for or for me and so it just it's like oh yeah that just happens like that's just true or um I think there's a couple other things I think even just some of the like dynamics in her family or um things that things that she says some of the just like teenagey things like Mm -hmm. the teenage culture in it is I mean it's 1994 so obviously I was not alive but I some of that teenage just kind of transcends time yeah and you're just kind of like oh yeah these kids are just awkward and weird and some of the scenes with her and the boy that's yeah funny um and what I liked is that start out as kind of wholesome and cute but then I, I kind of turned on him when we were watching. I was like, ah, oh, man, he's being real, real rude about all this. But then you kind of learn that it might not have been entirely his choice, that it was because of class difference that he was told you cannot be seen with her. She's undesirable. She could bring sort of a negative image back on you if you were seen with her. And then you yeah. almost feel there's... bad for him as well because he seems to enjoy her company as well. Yeah, there's a... Uh a sense of collective shame that's brought like oh and and actually the brother the brother mentions it to the main character like about the about the main character going to see this boy and the brother's like you know do you want to basically bring shame on this family you know mm-hmm. you know what it looks like if you go and you're hanging out with that that boy from that other and and you get the sense obviously that this boy is going to not only a different school, but a, a school in like a, like a better school. And so there's, yeah, there's just all of this, like for this girl, she'd, she'd bring trouble to her family because of the shame that that boy would be bringing to his family, that it would then be a collective shared shame between like both families would be in shame. One would be because their son is associating with a lesser family, a girl, and the girl would then be uh, causing shame to someone else, which brings shame to that fa- her family. Because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you offended that family. And it comes back on us, too, because we yeah. let you. You're our child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, so much rigid rigidity in that, that social order. Which kind of all the, all the different kids in the family deal with in different ways. Her sister is frequently going out and drinking and skipping class there's a scene where she hides in their cupboard and she gets her sister to lie for her it seems like basically she's going clubbing instead of going to cram yeah yeah yeah. which ironically ends up being a positive thing again i'm trying really hard not to spoil it people should go see it um but there's a moment where her i don't want to say rebellious nature but she ends up being late to a bus ride that would have then put her at risk which kind of was a poetic, sad thing because then she does survive a certain instance but then has to deal with survivor's guilt. But then the two siblings bond over it. I don't know. It it was like, it's funny because you described um, a movie that could not be more different than this. You described uh, Artemis Fowl as a hot mess. And I think there's a lot of messiness in this, but I think that's what emotions are. That's what family dynamic is. That kind of messiness that they really have some problems and are struggling through a lot of oftentimes tragedy and violence and pain, but they still seem to be coming out on the other side relatively okay or as okay as you can be. And it kind of feels hopeful towards the end that she could end up being okay. I don't know. It felt very honest and kind of cathartic to see her go through that journey of dealing with a lot she gets she goes through a lot she has surgery that she has to go through which the scene where she's in the the hospital and there are all the older women who are like very doting over her and she it's almost like she makes a whole group of friends there um she ends up having a relationship with a female student that we were talking about if it was meant to be a romantic interest or not I think it mostly was, but I think it was that they were both kind of kids and a little bit unsure of themselves, which also felt very honest, even though, again, it might have been that there was some family pressure that ends up influencing it. I don't know. There's so many good parts. I don't, I don't have many criticisms that I can think of. I think it's almost like, I think it could have been that 
there was almost less of, and this has been something people have been saying, there's like almost like one too many like, oh, and then this happens and then this happens. And that makes her like kind of coming out okay on the other side a little bit better. But it's like, you don't want to see this character totally just beat down for a lot of the movie. Um, even though every every moment of her going through something kind of then makes it that her eventual redemption and figuring things out is that much more powerful. I don't know. It's, it was good. I, I'm glad I knew very little about it and kind of just was able to experience it. It was really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, something that I think stuck out to me is the way that it um i think really emphasized the problems of like the process of modernization in korea and um the juxtaposed like still very very traditional uh values that were persisting in a very new like rapidly modernizing place um and i just felt like that was really like the thread through the whole movie of like the the issue with the kids act like in particular the two daughters acting out all the time was that they had access to now all of this modern um, technology somewhat yeah and like clubbing and uh money and stuff that their parents would not have had access to but they were being they were they saw the home as this like very horrible like Mm -hmm. traditional place that they were trying to rebel against by then going to participate in this very like new modern way um also like the the scene where she's in the middle school and the the really intense male teachers like beating into them that they need to go to korea university uh or seoul national university i think um and is yelling, I will not go to uh, Norebang is the word for like karaoke in Korea. Mm-hmm. It just means like singing room. And um, he's yelling like, I will not go do karaoke. I will go to Seoul National University or something like that. And it's just really interesting because both of those end up being these like, those are like two pretty like more modern um, things that people now have somewhat of access to. It was not until the mid and late 90s that, like that it was more normal-ish for people to actually be like going to university and so it's like just pounding into people that they have to do this but that it's um it's coming from this like very harsh like way of this guy is just like you don't feel good about the way that this teacher teaches um yeah and he also does like a poll or like expects them to rat each other out as who's like the troublemaker of the class yeah which which the she the main character gets picked as but you were like she's totally inconsequential yeah yeah it's it's probably not that she's actually the most troublemaker Mm. she's just sort of an outsider yeah and not so it's easy she's yeah pick um yeah and like the the troublemakers are people that the kids might actually like and are fun so they don't want to rat her out so she kind of was an easy target for them which is really sad but yeah and then um I don't know. I guess I I saw this as a really central theme just because the whole problem of the bridge collapse is because the bridge was, it was erected so quickly and just made so poorly mm-hmm. that it, it was just completely not structurally sound. And it was, um, and so that whole city was just, it was erected so, Seoul in particular was just erected so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the country, I, I don't think caught up to itself. Like it was outgrowing itself. And I think that led to a lot of really, really harmful issues. And then, I mean, the treatment of women and just feminism in general, I think, is a huge thread throughout it. Um, at one point, she is looking at the bookcase of the teacher's room. Yeah. And it's got books about feminism. It's got Western books in particular about feminism that are really interesting. And and there's they don't really directly talk about it, but it's clear that a lot of this is about the treatment of women. There was a time in, in, in modern Korean kind of ethos where in the early 2000s, a lot of dads were being sent to essentially like boot camps for dads to learn like emotional intimacy, mm-hmm. um, to learn how to hug their children, how to say, I love you, how to like not hit their children as a way of um, mm-hmm. discipline uh and 
I think there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of arguments about like the, the cultural ways that different cultures like use punishment or participate in um, uh, like the discipline of their children. And, and it's a very, in like American ethos and I guess in particularly like more urban areas, it's yeah very culturally not okay to, to touch your children, hit your children, like as a means mm-hmm. of like discipline. And I think about that a lot in terms of like conversing with my friends about the ways that we've all been brought up and um but yeah i just it's clear in the movie that there's this this like conflict between the more modern sense of like this is not really okay anymore but also mm-hmm. this and c- people coming into consciousness like this girl coming into consciousness it's, it's not okay that her brother's hitting her it's not okay that all of these things are happening to her but she's got no like outlet for understanding why it's not okay except for this her new chinese teacher yeah who has that big scene tells where she her, says like, that explicitly yeah, yeah. It's don't not, let anyone hit you anymore yeah which was a big moment for her and i think it's one of their their last interactions without giving too much away where they kind of see each other because she eventually through circumstance right. of the plot is not in her life anymore but had a big impact on her right yeah 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 and and the teacher just addresses more modern is to me just like this physical example of the new modern age and her kind of being like and feminism coming into korea and her being like don't let anyone hit you anymore that's not okay and it was interesting where she ends up leaving being the teacher and it's always told to her that she quit because she obviously is sad that she's gone although it's possible that she was fired that there was sort of some tension because they probably wouldn't tell her if she got fired because it could reflect badly on them is why they would have hired her in the first place but her her exit is is very sudden and kind of marks the last part of the film and has some of the most like visually really good moments like when she leaves the room and you think she's just going to be gone but then she comes back in and delivers this sort of like defiant moment speaking to the other woman there that like no she wasn't bad she was good and all these things you should have told me that she was leaving at this time like you actually told me this time and i don't know it yeah and then like she gets kicked showstopper of the moment she gets kicked out of the cram school she's not allowed to be a student there anymore after that. i know but it's it almost is interesting because that was one of the main reasons she enjoyed going there is not just that no longer was it not her home but it was someone she genuinely could connect with and talk with who seemed to listen to her and care about her and this isn't to sort of villainize other people in her life because I think that's something the movie does really well is it's like these aren't archetypal villainous people they're just people that are very deeply flawed and could be criticized for how they're doing things but they also have similarly probably been raised in certain ways and are repeating some of the same things her mother giving all of the attention to the older brother just as it was in her family and there's there's a very interesting scene where her mother and father get in a physical altercation but then the next morning they're laughing and having their most like intimate moment watching tv just sitting next to each other brushing up against each other and it as a kid that probably is very jarring to see but that's that's how they've been making things work and it's not not at all perfect but they're somehow figuring it out as best they can and i think i always like movies where it's people who have been not dealt a bad hand but find themselves in a less than ideal situation just trying to make the best of it because really that's that's what we're all trying to do nowadays (laughs) right (laughs) but yeah i don't know there's so much good going on i don't know i don't people should go see it I'm not yeah. I'm not starting this as like the <laughs> get this nominated now, but I I would think this could be one of the best of the year that that should get some sort of attention, whether it's direction or writing, just anything. The visual aspects are really good. I thought the music was really interesting at times. Yeah. I don't know. I just I liked I liked a lot about it. And so uh another comparison I thought of uh the other day while I was thinking about this movie is um, in the the portrait of a lady on fire, mm-hmm. the way that that movie uses silence and like staring at you know Very like eye v- visual yeah. yeah as intimacy because like they can't do a lot else well eventually they do a lot more than that than looking at each other but um <laughs> but for a lot of the movie they use silence and 
staring at each other as intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I really am interested by movies that explore through visuals other ways of expressing intimacy other than um, what we view as traditional intimacy, like hugging, kissing, saying intimate things like I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, even though you'd probably watch this movie and say, wow, her family's very cool. They're not intimate. They're not loving. Mm-mm. I think as much hitting as there is, there's, there are a lot of moments in this movie where I'm like, wow, there's so much intimacy. And you probably wouldn't guess there was if you just took this at face value. But if you think harder about it, like her family is, is the best they know how being very intimate. Mm-hmm. Like the, and the ends. One of the end scenes that really sticks out in my memory was um, when she goes with her sister to the remnants of the bridge mm. and they stand there. Not only is it very visually striking and I that's been stuck in my head, but also just that they again are there with each other after not really having that much connection. This was the first time we really seen them go somewhere together and it was to share in something very intimate, which was in mourning and in remembrance of this horrible thing that happened. And I don't know. It's it's good. It really hits deep. Um, I think people definitely need to go see this. They just mm-hmm. do. Yeah. And I, I think because it's sometimes where it's like, oh, things are already so sad. But I sometimes enjoy seeing people work through things in other ways in their own sad situations and growing from it as best as you can. That That's what really connects with me and leaves that kind of emotional mark and that deeper resonance that i remember a movie and think about it more because because of how it sticks with me because of how it can really connect with people's struggles even if it's someone outside of myself what was it that roger ebert sort of said that cinema can be an empathy machine or a machine for empathy and this this feels like this is where i was like totally locked in and was like i was very stressed for her (laughs) for a lot of it yeah um, yeah, I think I'll be thinking about this movie for a while. I, I would say if anyone uh, has had experiences of domestic violence, then that would be yeah. triggering for them to maybe not see this movie or maybe just really emotionally prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of screaming at uh, each other, but in particular the main character. There's a lot of... Um, screaming i mean there's a lot of like the parents screaming at the older sister and shaming her um and just really verbally degrading her um there's a lot of hitting there's uh yeah so i i think it would be hard to watch if those things are are pretty triggering for you um yeah that's I think my the last thought I really had about that. I just I want people to know going mm-hmm. into this. This isn't just a coming age story that kind of like you can just follow her life. And I and I think unfortunately it would be very difficult to watch like it's not really even a movie like, oh, okay, there's just one scene between this minute and this minute. It's pretty consistent. Say. It's like you I think if you can't watch other people be abused, um, even though it's it's arguable in this context. I mean not arguable if it's a it's it's unfortunately at that time this was very normal this was not like Mm -hmm. nowadays that would be seen as like a particular case of domestic violence back then it was very very normal so this is just kind of like in 1994 this was happening um so i think you can't get through the movie at all like you just unfortunately this isn't for you probably Mm -hmm. yeah because there is the only hint is when she goes to the doctor who does say that they could file a report but again Mm -hmm. that's it's very brief that you even see that kind of acknowledgement of it. Um, right. But yeah, transitioning to something totally different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in tone, in presentation, in style. Jay, would you like to introduce what we're talking about next? We are going to talk about Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, which is a animated television show on exclusively on Netflix. Um, it's done by a South Korean animation company, but is, um, I think made by, uh, I think made by, yeah, it's, it's, it is an American show, but it's, it's, uh, animated by a South Korean studio. And it's really well animated. It's really vibrant and cool looking. Yeah. It's very, it's kind of post-apocalyptic. It's, um, it kind of reminds me of adventure time, post-apocalyptic way, but 
not quite adventure time weirdness this is like a little bit more straightforward of a plot in some yeah. ways I think if people really like Adventure Time and if they really like She-Ra and if they really mm-hmm. like uh, like kind of that genre of like cartoons that are both somewhat like kid-friendly still, but uh, is like very much adult, like interesting for like for older audiences, I think you'd like Kipo. Mm-hmm. It's fun. The music is really good at times. Some of the sequences like where they're zipping around and flying all over the place are fun. The I, music, I had, it's great. I had joked to you that <laughs> Kipo is becoming more and more of an anamorph. Yeah. Which is maybe a reference that younger kids of the show wouldn't even, who would like this type of show, wouldn't even get. But it's, it's essentially, without spoiling it too much, for those that had seen the first season, it kind of delves a little bit more into her becoming a quote-unquote mute throughout throughout it because humans have lived below the earth which is kind of where I thought of Adventure Time because there's Susan's whole story in that. But they're living below the earth and mutants or mutes above them are the ones that rule. There are multi-eyed pigs. There are frogs who wear suits and don't want them to get dirty. Like, it's very silly, but it's very fun. Um, I I also would recommend it. I don't know. On the, on the last episode, we'd sort of been talking about good programming for things that kids could watch that also like has positive messaging in it and i think kipo is definitely one of those um yeah it's just all around cute i really liked it you had suggested it to me like when the first season was coming out probably more than a year ago or so and i had missed out on a chance to see a press screener for the second one because that was when the world decided to implode um but i don't know it's it's a fun time. All the voice acting is really good. It's very fun in the context of now where everyone's been sort of reflecting on um, black characters in different animated series being voiced by black actors. I believe everyone in this is, I think I double checked that I would be surprised. Um, Sterling K. Brown is one of the voice actors. He's the dad and he's he has a really good voice for for what's going on. And essentially, I don't know, there's there's not much I don't like about it. It is, it is a bit kiddish, but I think there is some fun stuff for, for adults in there, too. Or just adults who are still kids at heart. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of the... I don't know, I can imagine... I can't really imagine watching it as a kid and get it... Well, I guess Getting you just get different it, yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. You, just diff- get, you get different things at different ages. And I guess kids now are different than ki- being a kid when you know in the early 2000s but i don't know i really like it it's fun it's it's serious and it's like really intense but it's also just like hilarious and quirky and oh one of my favorite parts of the show are the um uh, i think i know what you're gonna say the bees yeah the depth step bees yeah um essentially they're these animated bees these big animated bees and they're from their tails uh they like have like strobe not like strobing like colored lights just normal and their eyes are kind of like disco ball looking and then they everywhere they fly instead of buzzing it's just like dubs dubstep Mm. like edm ish like um bass music and it's it's just i don't know i think it's really cute and funny and the way that they have kind of like created all these little factions of like mutated animals and I was gonna reference the, the world like, building is so great. oh yeah apparently I'd been reading that DreamWorks had at one point been thinking of just making it a movie but I think that would have been missing out on the chance to sort of just expose all these like very vibrant and different characters and creatures I really like uh, the cats that have the like flannel. And the 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 woodsman cats, I'll call them. I can't remember exactly what they're called. They're called they're timber really... cats. Timber cats. There it is. <laughs> it's really funny and really cute, but I liked it. Oh. Yeah. The um, timber cats. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, the first season is a little bit, is kind of just, like, more classic, like, action, adventure mm-hmm. stuff. I think this most recent season feels... You get a lot more backstory. Um, mm. You just start to get a lot of stuff revealed about the, the main villain. A mm-hmm. lot of stuff about 
the main character like the main character doesn't really know anything about her family's history and she just starts to learn a lot more about her own family and Mm -hmm. mom and I just really identified with that sense of like oh I thought I kind of like really got everything like I felt like I was in a pretty comfortable position and then you as you start as you grow up you learn more about your own family and that starts to kind of like shake a little bit of your sense of like your stability as a child mm-hmm. retrospectively to be like oh I thought everything was fine but actually there was all this stuff going on in the background that like actually makes things a lot more complicated and now kind of is why a lot of these like troubling things are going on in the mo- in like my current time as an adult as well mm-hmm. she's not an adult she's a teenager she's like 16 or something but she's been through some stuff right you just when you get older I identify with that idea of when you get older a lot of things retrospectively or just like you learn more about your parents that make you then like be like oh so that's why like all this kind of like messed up stuff is happening right now Mm -hmm. the only thing I will say I don't know this is a small sort of thing but I always forget with the way streaming services work now where sometimes it doesn't feel like it really wraps up it's sort of just like oh we're going to the next thing like the first season ended with like oh we gotta go get her but then the second season starts with like oh she just came back down um and then in this one it's like oh but we gotta go get him again I don't know it's still fun and I know they're setting up for next season and I think it totally is probably going to get one because people really like it um i don't know i also thought it was interesting how scarlamane becomes like a different twist on the character where his background kind of complicated even though i was thinking of mojo jojo from the powerpuff girls or whatever for a lot of it <laughs> uh, i couldn't help Maybe it that's, that's how well i don't remember you do get backstory on mojo jojo yeah and it also ends up being a little bit sad too yeah um it's like oh, yeah. it's, it's essentially kind of like commentary on like testing on animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it ends up being that Kipo herself is also part of not the animals, but of the mutations as well, which her parents tested on her without really obviously asking her, which is. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they kind of brush over that. I know. <laughs> dilemma. They're like the main ethical dilemma is uh, leaving behind is like the way that they've treated Scarlamane. And I'm like. <laughs> I feel what like Kipo? should be Kipo should be a lot more freaked out that her parents used her yeah. as a experiment. Um, I mean, I mean, I don't think that's why they got pregnant. I think they right. chose to do that later after they had, or did they? Because it's like it's infused in her. Like I don't know. They don't really go too much into that. But uh, I was like, I'm not going like to dive some, into that that much. There's some ethical questions about why they <laughs> uh, spliced their baby's DNA with a. Uh, uh is it a leopard yeah Yeah. it's like a pink leopard that she becomes and there's the climactic moment towards the end where she has like four arms i think they kind of did hint at it a little bit and maybe they'll explore it more if there's a third season um but i don't know there's an interesting world to be there i like the the snakes with the guitars there's like the (laughs) The rock snakes the rock snakes i always forget the names yeah it's just funny it's well i don't even know that that's what they're called but i think it's funny that because they, they play rock music and like mm-hmm. there's there are it's just i don't know i think a lot of the animals are actually like kind of like puns yeah they're like i just like that <laughs> i don't know i i was it's a weird comparison but i kind of was thinking of avatar the last airbender in a lot of it just because i watched that pretty recently and this is a little bit more silly and strange with some of the characters even though yeah. avatar had a fun silly tone yeah, but I don't know. I was thinking of that a lot because it's sort of the group of friends, oftentimes going on journeys, um, having to like find different artifacts, and they're like just bouncing around all over the place. I don't know where next season would go, but I don't know. I think I think it would be good to keep going because there's obviously more that they want to say and more that they want to yeah. tell. I think if people just finished Avatar and are feeling like, oh, what do I do with my life now? Yeah, they should watch Kibo. <laughs> That's well, one of my friends like finished Avatar and was like, What do I do now? My life is over. I mean, not literally over, but like, Oh, you know, what does life mean anymore? Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, You should watch Kipo in the Age of Wonder Beasts. (laughs) Because it's like, it's just in that same wheelhouse. And I don't know. I just think it's fun. I also think right now, in particular, people are like, Oh, I want to like consume diverse media because I'm, Mm. you know, I don't know. People are coming into consciousness about why that matters. And, um, Mm or just if people just like to consume like diverse media 
this is a good example of that. Um, <laughs> uh, my boyfriend said yesterday, was it yesterday? You know, this week we were talking about Kipo and he was like, we're talking about the diversity in it. Pretty much all the main characters, just for people who don't know, are people of color or they're animals. Um, um, and except for like the villains are white. And like John was, Hodgman. Yeah. And it was really funny because my boyfriend was like, Yeah, I love that show because everybody, like pretty much everybody's black, except and then like the villain is a total Karen. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, like Star Doctor. Lemaine? No, no, no. Oh, sorry. In the second episode, oh, okay. the main villain becomes not Scarlamane anymore. Right, right, right. Okay. There's, I mean, without giving the plot away, there is another character. Her name's Doctor Amelia in the second yeah. season. In the first season, no, like Scarlamane is very much the villain, and he's just he's a baboon. Um, but in the second season, the main villain is a white lady named mm. dr amelia and my yeah my boyfriend was just like i love season two because the villain is just basically karen and everyone else is like black and i was like yeah i i guess a lot more parallels to our world than we realize yeah they should put that on the box our villain is a karen just messing stuff up for everybody it's obviously yeah. not one to one with Avatar. I should say that it's gonna it's gonna be different. No, it's super so, different. But I just think like if people are looking for something animated, fun with with deep plots, stuff to say, but isn't and still has charm to it. Yeah, and it has charm and and is looking for characters because I think some of the fun about Avatar is like you get really invested not only in like okay like Avatar is saying a lot about society and it's it's a great show and it's got great plot, but it's you also get so invested in like the characters like Aang mm. and Sokka and, and the development of each character and their relationships. And I think that Kipo is something that's great because it's also really character, like it's just very character driven. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the, some of the episodes are just about a character's history and yeah, going back. Yeah. It's really um, interesting. And so I think if you're also just looking for a show where you're, you could be very invested in characters. This Kipo, is the one yeah yeah do you have any other closing thoughts on on kipo besides to watch it just watch it (laughs) just try it if you don't like it that's fine yeah but if you don't like it and you like a bunch of other uh animated shows in the same genre i would just invite you to to reflect to reflect on why you don't like kipo (laughs) because i just i just think it's one of the best animated shows i've watched in a long time yeah very cool um before we wrap up i was just gonna sort of throw out the the segment i do where i just talk about some upcoming releases which you can watch when whenever you hear this um there are two movies that i'll just reference there's the john lewis documentary it's called john lewis good trouble that comes out tomorrow that i really liked and would recommend and there's also this movie called the truth um jay did you see the movie shoplifters that came out last year no I maybe should add that as a recommendation. Shoplifters was this really interesting documentary about this family who like is struggling to get by, but sort of just will shoplift and like kind of hide out. And it's like really great. Like it's, it's really charming. It's from the same director as that. It's totally different. It's about kind of this family of actors and performers connecting in this house and going through all this stuff as, as their older mother uh, is in her most recent movie. But it's really good. It's not quite as good as Shoplifters. I think Shoplifters had a little bit more of a compelling through line throughout of it. This doesn't quite have that, but I don't know. It's also good. There are good movies coming out. Oh, and Hamilton is coming out, which I didn't see, but if you were... Yeah, Hamilton's coming out tomorrow with slightly... It's slightly edited so that it's child-friendly because Disney Plus has restrictions on the media that can be uploaded to it because of its, like, family... Really? Yeah, it's got, it's, basically they won't release anything on it that would be more than, like, uh, I don't even know, I don't know if it's, why well, they must have PG-13 things on it. Yeah. It, I actually might be that they don't release things that aren't PG, because hmm. I don't think I've seen anything more intense than PG on there. Hmm, interesting. Well, that's a bummer that it gets cut, but for most of us who would never yeah. get any chance to see it, because we can't right. afford tickets to go see it, I guess, this is to the people, Hamilton. This, yeah. And I've heard it's good. I've never seen it. And people say, like, even if you've managed to listen to the soundtrack, the full beginning to end music, that there's something valuable to seeing it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. All all good things. Um, thanks for coming I'm, I'm on. I'm gonna Jay. watch it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It'd be it'd be a good time. Um, thanks for coming on, Jay. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's always a it's always a fun time. Yeah, I like this movie, back. so I was very stoked to do this. Yeah, I know it worked out because I didn't know it was coming out, and then we we both saw it, and it was like that was good. Um, yeah. So yeah, see Kipo, see House of Hummingbird, see Hamilton, see John Lewis, see The Truth, whatever you're doing, stay safe, stay healthy, everybody. And oh, we'll see you next week. I'm going to talk with Charlotte again, who was here the previous week about the release of First Cow, which was a long delayed release, but First Cow is coming out. So we'll be talking about that and Kelly Reichard films in general. Um, Bye, everybody.